As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. edition of the audible presented by trader joe's i'm bruce feldman joined as always by my colleague Stuart mandel who is back from a vacation a much needed one i'm sure Stu, there's some news to get into we're going to get into some uh interesting stuff related to the college football hall of fame ballot that is just out as well as we're going to talk about the recruiting landscape that has ramped up dramatically this month in June and some transfer news. So first, anything you would like to share from your vacation? Um, I went to the great city of St. Louis where my, um, where my in-laws live and where my wife and I got married and celebrated our 10 year anniversary. And it was great. It was my first time traveling since the pandemic. And it's just great to be uh, back out in the world, living a, you know, other than the masks on the airplane, like just fairly normal pre-March 2020 times. So all good. Wow, it's crazy. It's t- I didn't really think about it. It's 10 years. What I remembered a little bit about the trip to your wedding was at one point going back to the hotel and pouring through a lot of emails <laughs> that were going to go in the back of the leech book. So... Well, <laughs> I, that's not where I thought you were going with that. I thought, I mean, I'll never forget coming down to brunch the, the morning after the wedding you know you always have like a or most people do a you know brunch for the family members from out of town and the ESPN was on the TV and on the ticker Jim Trestle has resigned as Ohio State coach and I was like not my problem wow I didn't remember I didn't I don't remember that um wow I didn't remember the time of that obviously I remember all the leech conversations yeah. that were going on then I don't I didn't well, realize and it wasn't you but I definitely remember a couple of the writer there weren't that many sports writers there but the ones who had to like suddenly work on this breaking news from their hotel in St. Louis what's weird about that is I remember uh, one of my bosses at ESPN we had already done and this was the first time I think I had ever done something like this where you wrote ahead of time knowing that this is likely to happen. So I remember having a, I don't know if it was a candidates list of who Ohio State would go after. I don't remember what we ran, but I remember we had a story ready to go. And I remember it going up when I was at the airport. I didn't realize that it was, that it was at your wedding that was from coming out of that at that time though. That's interesting. Um, Trust me, I have many other memories from that weekend that have nothing to do with college football, thankfully, but hard, hard to forget that one. Um, Okay, Hall of Fame. Uh, I think so. It gets very the, the college football Hall of Fame process is so confusing and and so different from the pros. And it, you know, we haven't even inducted the twenty twenty one class yet. I believe that happens in December, and they've already put out the ballot for the twenty twenty two class. But uh, you know, this one made a lot of waves uh, Wednesday morning because of a you know there's a lot of stars on this. And we'll get into it, but. You know, your big noon colleague, Reggie Bush, is on there. And it's a big deal because you're talking about a guy whose Heisman got taken away, whose, you know, college legacy has um, in many ways, you know, become synonymous with this scandal 
but this was the first time he could actually be nominated for the Hall of Fame by USC because his, um, you know, he was disassociated for a decade from USC. And I just think it's interesting that, you know, all these years later, it's like, I think the, the narrative around that, those sanctions have, have just completely changed from he's a villain to not that he was wronged, but that like just the, the punishment didn't fit the crime. So I don't know. I think people think it's pretty cool that he's on the ballot. Yeah, I, I think just in terms of what he was as a player, um, you know, what's crazy to me, just doing the math, and I think I, I know I've told you this story before, and I feel like I probably told it on the podcast, but I came, I went with him. He came, he came with us to Big 12 Media Days a couple of years ago, and what what didn't add up to me was the players were in awe of Reggie Bush in a way that, look, there's a lot of uh, celebrity former football players who are now in the media. And look, I work with a bunch of them. But aside from maybe Sam Darnold, how these players look at Reggie Bush is way different than, say, how they look at Matt Leinart or or Brady Quinn or who you know whoever you know is at your network, right? With Reggie, there was like an awe of celebrity, like in a different way. Now, you know, I think some of it is for a bunch of different aspects of celebrity, but you'd think 2005 at USC, you know, CeeDee Lamb is one of them who fit into the category, oh my God, that's Reggie Bush, you know, kind of thing. And there was, I remember players at Iowa State, oh my God, that's Reggie Bush, like stop in your tracks. That's and like those, you know, what is that, 14 years earlier? So a lot of those kids were seven six years old and everything like that. And I know there's a video game component and there's YouTube stuff to it. Um, but just a, a kind of an iconic, you know, exciting player that I, I think that that is, you know, like you just list, go through the list of the guys on the ballot. And, I, you know, so what I wanted to do for part of this podcast was say, okay, let's put our 10 guys in each who go, okay, this is the 10 guys I would absolutely try to put in this year or whatever. And it's hard. I was like, all right, I'm going to limit it to 10. And I ended up with 18 and now, I, you know, whittle it down or whatever. Um, you know, Reggie was one of those players where stats don't do him justice. I mean, the other, right. the other day... I showed my son, you know, he's into football. And so, you know, at one point we watched a 10-minute clip of Barry Sanders in the NFL, which blew his mind. And then I was like, hey, I want to show you this. And I was like, I showed him Reggie. And he was like, couldn't believe it. And I was like, you've actually met him. And he was like, <laughs> you know, kind of, I don't remember him. I was like, yeah, the one day he came in, he left his laptop somewhere or whatever, whatever. And it was just like, I just for to see the highlights again for me, even just the highlights of Fresno State you know, or against Arkansas is just, he played at a just different speed. Um, so it's cool to see that he's, you know, on the ballot. Um, I would ask you when you went through the ballot, as we do, who would be your 10 guys? You're like, okay, these are the first 10 guys I'm putting well, in Well, what's this year. crazy is, so the email I got had, there are 78 guys on this ballot, right? And, and it's not like any of them are, you know, you'd say, oh, that's completely undeserving. But the email I got at first highlighted the ones who were on there for the first time. I could pick 10 guys just off that list of, you know, just, just the guys who were appearing on the first time, like LeVar Arrington, Reggie Bush, Michael Crabtree, Warwick Dunn, who I don't understand. Yeah, I didn't understand that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Andrew Luck, Bryant McKinney, Kellen Moore. Uh, and But there's 78 names in total. Um, you know, to me, all right, you want to do it like a draft? Um, we could do that. Let's do that. Cause then we're going to have right. overlap and that way. My 18 list, I assume we're getting all of them in. And I also know a couple of yours. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to pick that guy. Um, I do think that the first one that I want to get in just cause it's overdue is what we just said. Work done three time thousand yard rusher for what we consider to be the the heyday uh, of Florida State football. You know, he was on a national title team. He played for another. Um, you know, there's a lot of really great players on here who are more recent. But like, let's let's take let's get him on there first. Okay, I'm gonna take a guy. Like, I had four or five guys that I would fit in the category of just dominant like players. 
Um, and this guy arguably was as dominant a player as I've ever seen in person, also in the ACC, and that was Julius Peppers. I mean, just just an insane athlete. Um, to me, he was like like a Superman out there. So I would I will I will take him next. Okay. Um, I mean, I do think I'm not going to, I mean, I was talking to Ralph Russo, our buddy from the AP about this. I'm uh, sure he's listening. He usually does about how it's not like, you know, in like the baseball hall of fame, they make a big deal about getting in on the first ballot. I don't think that's quite the deal with college. There's just so many guys, but, uh, first ballot or not, I do think that Heisman winner, two-time national champ, Reggie Bush, is about as distinguished as anybody on here. So I'll, I'll go with him next. Okay. Um, the next guy, like, this guy's unfortunately kind of, you know, it's hard to put stats sometimes on these guys, but to me, Champ Bailey is another one who's just like an insane athlete who went both ways and did all this. I was like, all right, he's got to go in. So he'd be the next one I'd go in. Um, torn between a couple here, um, and a little worried that I'm suffering from recency bias, but he's the all-time winningest quarterback in the history of college football. Um, Kellen Moore. Yeah, you know, what's funny is when I tried to narrow my list to 10, I had two quarterbacks on it, and he, to me, Kellen Moore is Boise State, which had that rise. I, you know... We're going to put ten guys in each, so I'm, you know, whether he's the third guy or the tenth guy or whatnot. I, I, I think would definitely you can think vote for twelve. So I guess yeah. we should probably limit it to twelve. Okay, maybe. so yeah, all good on Kellen Moore. Um, then uh, another guy for me, and I just like I thought he was just an awesome player um, for OU when they really flipped the page, and that was Roy Williams. Um, you know, I don't know, like some of these people, I also. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I have some biases towards because I've either covered them or written features about them or gotten to know them in a little bit differently. And Roy Williams probably fits in that category. But he was just such, I mean, for a defensive player, he was so much fun with what OU did with him, whether you they played him at kind of linebacker or safety. It was a little bit different. But, um, you know, I just thought he was just, just a program changer. Another first-time guy on the ballot, and you talk about biases, you know, I covered this guy in person, knew him, lived 15 minutes away from him, but I do think he was um, one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen, and that's Andrew Luck. Yeah, I knew you were going to pick him, so I would take that off my list. Um, This is another one that I'm a little surprised is not in there yet, Um, and that was Peter Warwick for FSU. And I don't, Mm -hmm. like, honestly, the Hall of Fame usually doesn't put two guys from the same school in the same year. And so you have the Warwick combination of Warwick Dunn and Peter Warwick. I'm guessing one will go in, but like, you know, Marvin Jones is on there. I feel like Marvin Jones is super deserving too. So good luck sorting that out this year. You know how we talk about sometimes how things that were big scandals once upon a time would just be like laughed at now? Do you remember what a huge, I do, huge I know what you're going to say, yeah. Scandal it was that Peter Warwick got discounts at Dillard's. <laughs> Yeah, I, like I that, think that was the scandal, right? An employee at Dillard's was hooking up Florida State players with discounts. You probably have to punt out a lot of guys out of Hall of Fames if you were going to draw the line <laughs> on that. It cost him the Heisman that year. Uh, he could have won the Heisman that year, but he got suspended for a couple games over that. All right, who do you got next? Um, okay, uh, I think that, um, let's see here. I think my next one is going to be a guy who... Um, was the best player at his position at the time and maybe for several years over that span. And that's Robert Gallery, the uh, All-American offensive tackle for Iowa. I feel like, like when you think about the Kirk Ferentz two-decade legacy of turning out offensive linemen, he was, he was the guy that got that started. Yeah, I'm going to take an offensive lineman too, and I'm going to take the best offensive lineman. I'm probably the best team that... We've seen in college football in a long time, and that was Bryant McKinney at Miami. Mm-hmm. He was also a dominant player. Um, he didn't have, because he was a junior college guy, it wasn't like he was there for that long. But again, best offensive lineman in college football then on the best team. I would I will think he's a pretty safe pick to go in. 
Um, this might be a case of I just wrote about him recently in, uh, in, in a story I did uh, about the 2001 Ohio State-Michigan game. Mike Doss was the you know heart and soul of that 2002 National Championship defense, and I believe he was a three-time All-American. Um, he's my next pick. I've kind of lost track. How many, how many have we done? I think we have each done six. Already? So, yeah, so I would have Peppers, Bailey, Warwick. Uh, I've done five. I think you've done six. Okay. All right. Uh, next pick for me, I'm surprised you haven't picked him already. LeVar Arrington from Penn State. Mm-hmm. He, was, I don't, he was on my short list. I don't think we have to say much more about that one. <laughs> So if that's the case, if we've hit the, t- the 12, because that's how many people can vote for, just to give you a sense of how deep this list is, here's some of the guys that we didn't, didn't get. Uh, Sean Alexander, uh, Eric Berry. Eric Berry was, was one of my next two picks, by the way. Ken Dorsey, who I feel like gets kind of crapped on because he didn't, you know, he was the rare Miami player from that era who didn't go on to become an NFL star, but he was the starting quarterback for 34 straight wins. Um, Dwight Freeney. Another one. Uh, Tony Gonzalez is still sitting on this ballot for has been for some time. Um, I'm not saying everybody here. I'm just kind of skipping through. Ironhead Hayward. Um, Marshawn Lynch showed up for the first time this year. James Laurinaitis. He's a Fox colleague, right? He is. Uh, Corey Moore, great. Great. I'm glad you said that, that, Stu. Like, way undersized, super fast. Uh, You know, I'm trying to remember who the cornerback they had was. They had a cornerback that same era who probably weighed the same as Corey Moore. But, but, oh, man, he was was a terrific player in in that defense. Both Simeon Rice and Kevin Hardy are on the ballot. Uh, That 94-95-ish Illinois teams with those two linebackers were, uh, you know, feared yeah uh, to say the least and they had a third one who was a great player too and dana howard um it's just a great group but yeah simeon rice to me like i i like both of them uh that are on the ballot to me simeon rice would have been one of my top tens here i mean just you know has the big 10 record for sacks i mean just a, a you know an amazing talent um i want to bring up another so so those are the players. You also there's also coaches, and I don't know how many coaches you vote for, but we have talked on here many times. I feel like about the crock that is the criteria to to get in. You have to have a what is it a six hundred? Yeah. Well, you're supposed you're supposed to. They've grandfathered in a bunch of people who who they may have looked a little more favorably on to shoehorn it into the Hall of Fame. Well, Howard Schnellenberger, one of the greatest coaches of all time, is ineligible for the Hall of Fame based on that criteria. However, new to the ballot this year is another Miami National Championship coach, Larry Coker. You're just is is any Miami (laughs) fan going to say Larry Coker, nice guy, very nice guy, should be in the College Football Hall of Fame? Probably not, especially in the way you couched it. I mean. You know, if they were going to say which Miami coach should go in, it would be Schnellenberger. But, right. um, you know, look, he was 35-3 and three his first three years. He obviously took over, a, you know, a, a, a great program from Butch Davis. But, uh, you know, he's on there. Um, there's there's a coach so, on there yeah, that I yeah, think ahead. is very deserving and really underrated, and that's Gary Pinkle. Um you know, he had a great run at Missouri, had a really good run at Toledo. I think he's, you know, according to the ballot, he's the winningest coach in both. I could, I definitely think he has, he is deserving of being in the College Football Hall of Fame based on what he did there. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, some other coaches who are on the list, Larry Blakeney from Troy, um, Jim Carlin, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and South Carolina. Um, you know, got some small school guys on here. Um, I would be remiss if I did not mention the name Bill Borchert because I hear from his Mount Union folks a bunch. And, you know, obviously we've heard plenty about that program. Uh, He led them to -to back-to-back national titles, and he holds a ton of NCAA records. And Like I said, Mount Union quarterback. He's 
sounds like he's been long overdue for a spot in the Hall of Fame, and hopefully that'll happen soon. Yeah, they the way they they do that is they call it um, divisional player candidates. So players from the lower divisions, I have no idea how many get in or how they get in. Um, just scanning this list here to see if there's anybody I particularly recognize. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of guys who you'd recognize from from who ended up in the NFL. Um, you know, later on. But one of the other names that I think a lot of our listeners will will recall uh, from his time with the Eagles, but also a great player at Villanova, Brian Westbrook, was just a dynamic player with with the ball in his hands. Again, he's another one that like kind of surprises me that you know he won the Walter Payton Award in two thousand one. That's twenty years ago. I'm you know again, I'm surprised he's not already in. <laughs> but look, I mean, every year there are you know in college football it turns over so fast it's different than any of the pro hall of fames yeah i mean there's hundreds and hundreds of guys that can that you could consider at any given time um all right to the to the present uh in in college football june 1st we were recording this on june 2nd june 1st was a a pretty significant date uh on the calendar this year it was the end of the recruiting dead period that has been in effect since the start of the pandemic um, players for the first time since March of 2020 can visit schools and as you can guess schools wasted no time getting a whole bunch of guys in there as soon as possible for visits um, and there's some other things that I think this is either for the first time or that they're making exceptions for this year uh, to kind of make up for lost time so there's a few things that are going on. So now what, what you're going to end up having, because it's been basically 15 months of a dead period, essentially, you're going to have a lot of official visits being crammed in, midweek official visits. Uh, since you did not have people go out in the spring, either coaches to do evaluations or players normally to go on campuses in April and maybe assess things. And so you have less kids who probably committed uh, – when they normally would have because the evaluation period has changed. So that is definitely cranked up this month and influx. Every school is having it. Now what's new this year and what's different, and this is not um, going to be a permanent thing, I don't think. You will have these one-hour evaluation one-on-ones. Now they have to be with a position coach, so it's not like you can have a staff that's bloated with analysts who are you know, former coordinators and whatnot who could work out player X over here while a different analyst is working out player Y because it doesn't cost the kids anything. It's, you can't work out with a, with a ball. It's, it's basically on air. Now, if let's say your receiver's coach was a former high school quarterback or college quarterback, they can be throwing the ball to them. They can take, they can take data so you can put GPS trackers on them. You can time them, do all that stuff. Um, so, you know, you're going to have that. You're going to have a lot of unofficials because, it, like I said, it's the first time kids are being able to be on campus in a long time. You're going to have some of these mega camps. And, you know, all schools are really, you know, uh, all the way in on this because it's just going on. Now, you may see more of it from social media than, than normal, but... If you haven't really kind of gotten a sense of the landscape, uh, myself and our colleague Ari Wasserman did a big story um, that went up on The Athletic June 1st, kind of getting into the details really of what's going on in this month or in the summer. But also I think uh, one of the things that from hearing from coaches is it's also playing into an influx of players who are flocking into the portal uh, where you're looking at you know one-time transfer exemption, you also have the issue of NIL, which is which is looming, and and people may say, well, how does the portal part actually factor in necessarily to this evaluation? Well, the reason why is because there is way less uh, information to get a sense of who you're recruiting, so it's a harder evaluation right now on this class. Uh, than there is normally because people just haven't had kids in camp. They're just making quicker decisions. And so there's a bunch of coaches who are weighing the idea of, you know, we're going to probably sign less high school kids this year and we're rather going to save those initial spaces in our 25 for, 
transfers who may go. And so there's a, one of the former head coaches I talked to had some really interesting comments about strategies that people are looking at potentially in the portal. And I would encourage you, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, to go read that because it is fascinating to see how co- some college coaches are approaching this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So a little transparency here, Bruce, uh, for the listeners. I got completely distracted and barely heard anything you said because it. Jeff Goodman from Stadium is reporting that Coach K is retiring after this season. Okay. Seven. You know, I know this is a football podcast, but uh, doesn't get much bigger than that for college sports news. Um, so what you're saying is <laughs> that, that I'm going to have to repeat myself or what? No, I, I, I read your story, <laughs> so, so I, I know what you're I know what you were going to say. Yeah. Um, gosh, uh, well, you knew it was going to happen one day, but still, um, I mean, that's, this is the equivalent of like, if we were recording, uh, uh, I guess this would be equivalent if we were recording a bat- basketball podcast when it came out that Nick Saban's retiring. Hmm. That's a good question. I don't think it is, but okay. Why not? Because I think Nick Saban is far and away the greatest college football coach of all time. Yes. This would be the equivalent of that. That would be like if John Wooden maybe retired, you know, like in that. Yeah. John, you know. But don't you think, does anybody really think there's a, you know, a better coach Currently, I don't know about all time, but like, isn't Coach K universally considered the best coach in college basketball? Um, I mean, his run in the last of this generation, I would think, would certainly merit that. I'm just saying, I wouldn't put it on the. Maybe this is we bumped into an interesting convert, uh, talking point on the podcast. I would not put him as the Nick Saban because, like I said, to me, Saban is far and away yeah. uh, the best college football coach of all time, and I don't know if anyone would would make the claim that coach k is a better coach than say john wooden yeah i mean look it's it's a different completely different sport even the best coaches are not in basketball are not going to win what what is saving at six national titles in the last 11 year 12 years 11 years you know that's just not not realistic um coach k has won four five one two three four but that's a lot in uh, in college basketball. It's just crazy that him and Roy Williams back to back. Anyway, that's a fascinating question topic thing you just brought up, though. I, I immediately defaulted to Saban because I feel like they're the just the biggest names in, the, in coaching in their respective sports, and you are like, nah, I don't think so. No, and look, I don't, I don't, I do not want to disparage. Coach K. He's obviously had, you know, he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. I just think if you say to me, and look, I am no college basketball historian. I'm not Jeff Goodman. I'm not Seth Davis. I'm not Pat Forty. I'm not Dana O'Neill. But to me, it's like if you would say like John Wooden would be that guy um, if you had to have one. And again, it's to me, like in the last five years, one thing that has been come clear is like to me, Nick Saban is, is like the hands down number one college football coach of all time. So, I'm going to pump the brakes here because I remember maybe it was only like a couple podcasts ago we just went on and on raving about Saban. I'm sure people are sick of that, but um, in terms of the the June stuff, um, the thing that that you know and you mentioned it is like you can no longer separate recruiting and and how many guys you're going to sign this year from transfer portal. 
they're they're basically one and the same. In fact, I think two four seven and those sites need to figure out a way to weight the recruiting rankings to account for transfers. I have no idea how you would do it, but if you're you know if you only sign eighteen high school kids, you might get a lower class ranking, but you may have only signed eighteen high school kids because you're going to get X, Y, and Z impact transfers. And so on June first, I'm sure it's no coincidence the timing. Georgia went out and got not one but two. Uh, so you and you and Max Olson do the um, the athletics. It's top fifty, right? It is top fifty. Top fifty yes. transfers, and you know guys that are either uh, currently in the portal or have made their decisions. But basically, the the, the off twenty twenty one off season uh, portal rankings. We talked about it. I don't know a month or so ago when you guys first put it out, and Eric Gray. The running back who's going from Tennessee to Oklahoma was number one. Now, in the last 24 hours before you're recording this, Georgia picked up the number eight player on your list, Darian Kendrick, former All-ACC cornerback at Clemson who got into some off-the-field issues. Some legal issues, yes. Yes, and Eric Gilbert, uh, who is your number... He's your number 19 player. A year ago, he was a five-star guy who I, I distinctly remember Dave Aranda coming on our podcast right after he took the Baylor job and referring and passing to the generational tight end that was coming into LSU. And this being the transfer portal era, less than he barely even completed his freshman season before he was into the portal. And now he's at Georgia. Caveat, we don't know if he'll be able to play. He's got coursework he needs to do to catch up either either so uh, a couple of things uh so max and i when we put this list together we did a lot of calls to both the the places where the players came from but also the a lot of times the places where they ended up just to kind of get the book on it um eric gray is one of those guys who got glowing reviews from coaches who worked with him at tennessee and coaches who have him at oklahoma um you know, you, we heard you know similar from certain guys, and then you'd hear some other, some mixed on some other guys. Ooh, that guy might have been a high four star, yeah, but there were some maybe some concerns about him, uh, you know, work ethic, maturity wise, right? You know, like some of those things. Uh, in the case of Gilbert, so he, as you said, he has, um, he's got some, he's got a, quite a bit of work to do if they're going to get him cleared eligibility wise, or he's going to need some help from a maybe a hardship waiver for for from the NCAA. We'll see how that stuff sorts out. Um, physical talent-wise, he is a top five guy in regard to that. So hopefully it works out for him. And, you know, because it was a rough year for a lot of people last year with COVID and everything going on around it. So, um, but he is, he is an awesome talent. And look, I mean, one thing, and I, I think this is where you were headed, like, look, Georgia, you know, Kendrick was somebody Clemson let go. He's definitely an all-ACC caliber talented defensive back at a position where Georgia has to replace a bunch of guys. Uh, Eric Gilbert is a guy who can help. I mean, LSU liked the idea of using him at receiver as well. That's what Georgia plans on doing, especially with they have some challenges, you know, after injury, obviously, at receiver. So, if he's on the field, certainly if if Kendrick is ready to go, um, does this change your odds of where you would have Georgia? I'm talking national title here. I'm not talking about whether they're going to win the East. I think you and I both think they're going to win the East. But look, Alabama has a ton of guys to replace. Texas A&M has to replace a longtime quarterback and a bunch of guys on the offensive line. Uh, Florida has to replace starting quarterback, best player they've had in a decade in, in Kyle Pitts. They weren't that good on defense to begin with. So give me the landscape for Georgia as we are talking on June 2nd. So, look, I already had them number two in my spring rankings, number two in the country behind only Alabama. And all they and they just went out and uh, got now, I mean, I don't want to downplay the fact that he was arrested um, charge with unlawful carrying of a handgun. Um, but Kirby Smart thinks it's worth the risk. And he is, you know, that was their most inexperienced position. That's where they lost two really good starters. And you're going to plug in a guy who was first team all ACC last season, who was Clemson's best cornerback. Uh, and you're going to play Clemson week one. 
that's that's about as big an upgrade as you could possibly make. And then I thought it was interesting that Eric Gilbert, in the stories about him uh, picking Georgia, said that he was brought there to be a receiver, not as much a tight end to be a receiver. And Georgia obviously had a big blow in the spring when George Pickens, their number one receiver, went down with an ACL injury. So basically, if you were to look at their roster... By the way, Georgia the- Georgia has a has a has another freak at tight end in Darnell Washington, so That's it's right. not like they're hurting for tight ends. They're not really hurting for receivers either, but George Pickens was kind of head and shoulders above the other guys. Um, so if you look at Georgia in April or whatever, and you said, here's their two biggest question marks, they just went out and got guys to try to fill both of them. Um, I think they have the deepest, most talented, least question mark roster in the country. And now it's just a matter of can he find, can Kirby finally get over the hump and, uh, and, and put it all together there. They've had some great teams there that just couldn't quite get it done. Um, I don't put last year's in that category. They were kind of out of it by, by mid season, but they also didn't have JT Daniels yet. Once he got eligible, uh, once he got healthy, once he got healthy, they were a much different offense. So, he threw for almost 400 yards in the bowl game against a very good Cincinnati defense. So uh, it's uh, it's tough to, to like come out and say, like, oh, I think they're going to win the national title when they haven't done it in 40 years. But if not now, when, right? Right. Um, I think, and I'm not telling you what to do, but I think if there was ever a time for you to bump them to number one, Stu, what are you waiting on? You think I should put out a new ranking just to bump them to number one? Well, I'm not, I'm not like... You are so close to doing it. Um, like, I, and again, I'm not telling you to do it for clicks. I'm, not, I'm just like, if there was ever a time to go out on the limb, like you're not going to do it until, like there's nothing you're going to see, or maybe I should ask you this. If they beat a Clemson team that has to replace Travis Etienne and obviously Trevor Lawrence um, and some good receivers too, in the opener, is that going to be enough for you to go, all right, they are my number one team? Because otherwise, you're not going to see anything until the SEC title game that would convince you probably enough that, okay, Oh, it Kirby also depends it. on what the other teams look like. But I do think that having that game week one is a, you know, you can't ask for a better measuring stick game. And it's not like Georgia's a young team that needs to figure itself out. Like, you're going to see the Georgia team you see in week one should be pretty close to the team you're going to see over the rest of the season. So I think that, you know, Brent Venables has spent the entire offseason preparing for Georgia. So this is a great test for Georgia's offense to see what they can do. And then in terms of the what we talked about with the corners, you know that we think Justin Ross will be out there for Clemson. You know they're going to have good receivers out there. It's just a great measuring stick game. They don't have to win that game, obviously, to make the playoff. I mean, they could lose that game, but if they turn around and win the SEC, they're going to be in the playoff. To me, that's more of a let's let's see them right off the bat against another team that we think is going to be in the playoff. Yeah. You know who is the most interesting player in college football in 2021? Big statement. Let's hear it. It's JT Daniels. It is JT Daniels because uh, he had a decorated career at a storied program in Southern California in modern day. Had his moments as a, you know, early enrollee freshman at USC, then gets hurt, loses the job ends up going out to cross country to Georgia. Um, looked pretty good in late in the season, albeit against not the best competition. But now, man, like you just laid it out. Like this is the chance. This is probably as good a window as Georgia could hope to have right now to win a national title, right? Just because of the Al- about it, like Alabama All of the other top contenders except for Oklahoma, are breaking in new quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, we think Bryce Young will be a star. But we haven't seen it yet. JT Daniels has experience, has played at a high level. And very interesting that you bring that up, Bruce, because it is a perfect segue to our first question in the mailbag. All right. In the God's honest truth, I had no idea that was coming up. So it just kind of <laughs> went there. So, um, Well, I'm... actually, I didn't have it listed first, but we'll make it first. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, 
you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, from Nick Conley. Hello, Stu and Bruce. Love the pod. Hope you guys are doing well. Stu, you seem to look more favorably upon JT Daniels for Georgia than you do Jack Cohn for Notre Dame. Why is that? Consider these stats. Also, audience, I have not checked these stats, so you're going to have to take it for, you know, you're going to have to assume that Nick Conley knows what he's talking about here. Uh, Jack Cohn stats, 20, and I assume these are career stats, 23 TDs, 8 interceptions, 68% 68% completions, top 50 defenses faced, 9. JT Daniels stats, 25 TDs, 13 interceptions, 62% completions, top 50 defenses faced, 1. That's the one I would like to go back and check because that seems hard to believe. But, um, all right, well, good question. I will admit I don't necessarily view Jack Cohn as the savior that I think some Notre Dame fans are. Maybe that's me defaulting to when has Wisconsin ever put out like a, a you know, since Russell Wilson, a, an elite quarterback like that? Well, you just said it, by the way. And b- by the way, just a caveat, before you crap over our, crap all over our colleague Max Olson again, um, Jack Cohen is number seven on our impact list of transfer quarterbacks. There you go. So. Um, well, I mean, what do you think? Who's going to have a better season, him at Notre Dame or JT at, at Georgia? I feel like JT has a better surrounding cast of the start, you know, the top 44 players in the roster. Like, obviously, you know, Max and I put this list together, talked to some folks. We think Jack Cohen has a chance to be the quarterback of a playoff team. Um, this is a really interesting that one. team, the one he's on? Uh, the question with Notre Dame is you do have to replace some really good players on defense. Look, I, I think they're really good. I think they're good at skill. I mean, they have terrific tight ends. Kyron Williams is, is an excellent running back. They have speed behind them. Like, you know, I don't want to downplay Jack Cohen. I also think the skepticism that, um, and I'm blanking, is it Brad from Columbus, Georgia, who, who sent you this question? Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, Nick Conley. The question that Nick sends, again, and you're right, like, is this top 50 defenses one versus, you know, like, there was a lot of statistically very good defenses in the in the uh, Big Ten. I'm not saying they're, they're not really good, but sometimes you see them skew, and maybe because the offenses are a little more conservative or a little less dynamic outside of Ohio State in the Big Ten. So you see... Iowa, you see a lot of these other 
with certainly Wisconsin. I mean, he couldn't have faced Wisconsin's defense, obviously, if, as the Wisconsin quarterback. But um, with JT Daniels, that slice of the, the schedule that he faced was not the hardest part of the schedule. I don't want to dismiss it, but even Cincinnati was pretty depleted um, in the bowl game with some of the guys they had out there. So I could see why there's some skepticism. But again, we just talked about JT Daniels. I mean, he throws it well. He's a you know he's a very bright bright quarterback. Um, I don't think he's going to make a ton of plays with his legs or anything. Question's going to be: Can he pick apart these defenses? Because I don't think I don't think Munkin and Kirby Smart are going to want to throw it 45 times a game either. I mean, you're at Georgia; they just it's not like they're going to turn into what LSU became uh, with with uh, Joe Burrow. So, uh, yeah, interesting question. The I, I think it's hard to make the apples to apples comparison that he's trying to make because most of JT Daniels' stats are coming from three years ago, 2018 as a true freshman on a bad USC team where he just looked, he just wasn't ready yet. I mean, remember, he graduated high school a year early. Um, he was handed the keys to this. Now, he did have some really, really good receivers, though. I mean, those were legit NFL receivers. I mean, I, I watched a good Utah defense get eaten up by Matt Fink going into, you know, after Slovis got hurt that Friday night, basically because Michael Pittman decided, I'm going to dominate so this So that was the next year. And so I know, but I'm just saying those were the guys he was throwing to, Michael Pittman, Vaughn's, you know, that was, he had, he had um, Amon Ra, who he had played with for years. So it wasn't like, you know, it was, I get it. The, the team itself was not great. The, the skill guys were so really good. Jack Cohen... 2019, he's a third-year player at that point. He plays, he's the quarterback of a very good Wisconsin team that went to the Big Ten title game, and if you recall, took the took the lead at halftime on Ohio State. But he also had Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, and I'm looking at his game log here, and I'm looking at some of the better teams they played that year. Uh, and a terrific offensive The first game against line. Ohio State, 10 of 17 for 108 yards. Uh, against Iowa, 16 of 25 for 173 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Against Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, 17 of 33 for 232 yards. In the Rose Bowl, 23 against Oregon, 23 of 35 for 186 yards, a touchdown and a pick. So I'm just not seeing where we're getting the idea that he's going to come in and and set the world on fire. He doesn't need to, though. Much like that Wisconsin team, that Jonathan Taylor, he's going to have some great running backs behind him. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Um, and I, you know what? I can see, again, like I'm looking at this, they played a bunch of uh, go down from the midseason, played at number three Ohio State, then played number 15 Iowa, then played at number 10 Minnesota, then played number three Ohio State, then played number five Oregon. So it's not like he has not played in a bunch of big games. I think the thing that... Um, bodes pretty well for him is he's you know his accuracy numbers are good and he didn't throw a lot of picks so i overlooked that minnesota game that was a that was a big win on the road against i believe they're undefeated still at that point and he went 15 15 of 22 for 280 yards two touchdowns no picks yeah i don't think um if i'm not mistaken minnesota had just lost because i thought our game they played iowa that's right iowa beat them all right, let's do this next question from Josh E. Hey, guys, love the pod. Been listening since it started. Thank you, Josh. And it's one of my favorite sports podcasts. Now that the NFL has gone to a 17-game season and there are no Saturday playoff games the weekend of the CFP title game, what are the chances it is now held on a Saturday? It seems to make sense to move it there so it can be the whole day event, in quotes, leading up to kickoff like there is for the Super Bowl. And you'd have to think that not kicking off at 8.40 on a Monday would help ratings. Interesting thought. What do you say, Stu? Yeah, I mean, when they first um, when, when it first became reality, I guess, that the NFL was going to do this, somebody else brought this up, I think, in my written mailbag, and I thought, that is a good idea. Then I talked to somebody at the CFP, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but it was like they had never even thought of it. Um, you threw everybody think- at the CFP under the bus just by doing that, by the way. <laughs> I I think that there's a couple things. First of all, um, this idea that that the Monday night slot is bad is 
I think maybe an overreaction to last year's bad ratings, which I think were more a product of the, you know, just a season, a really weird COVID season that, that people didn't get fully invested in. For the most part, like, I don't think the, the national title ratings are great and, and for in most years, and I don't think the time slot has held it back in any way. And I think that, you know, we play football on Monday nights every week, and it's not like um, some completely unorthodox thing. That And then, of course, but let's say you did. Let's say you said, you know what, that'd be a great idea. Why not move it to Saturday night? Guess what? The NFL's already stepped in and claimed that, at least for this season. They, they announced the the schedule, the new 17-game schedule, and they're putting games on that Saturday. So um, there's always been a just kind of a... I don't know that they... If it's like a unwritten understanding or if they actually talk to each other, but basically college just stays out of the NFL's way, you know? The NFL doesn't put a game on that Monday night, and college doesn't infringe on their their weekends there at the end. Interesting. Uh, okay. I buy it. All right, I'm going to ask you... Uh, this is a really interesting one from Brian in Seattle. DK Metcalf's awesome track performance recently got me thinking. If a football coach, If a football coach had to fill their lineup from a roster of sports contested at the Olympics... Where would they go for each position? Example, wide receiver, 100-meter dash, O-line, shot put, a lot of big, tall guys, defensive tackle, high weight class Olympic lifters maybe, and tight end, he suggests, basketball. Okay, so I had a conversation years ago with former Houston coach, at the time Houston coach, Tony Levine, and I was like kicked around the idea of, look, if you ever wanted to go on a crazy recruiting trip, you should go to like the... the uh, junior olympics like in europe or in in an a, somewhere outside the united states and i bet you would find a bunch of offensive tackles and potentially tight ends in the track world because look margus hunt was one of my all-time number one freaks list guys and he was a thrower in track and he's had a really nice nfl career as a defensive lineman and blocking kicks uh you definitely have some crossover in that because as Brian points out, like with shot put discus, you have to have really good footwork to be able to do that. You also have to be really explosive athlete. Um, and a lot of times those athletes, because they're so high, high level trained, I think there's a lot of dedication that goes to it in, in a sport like that. So I would definitely buy that. Um, wrestling is an Olympic sport. I defensive lineman to me, like because you're so good with leverage, because it's such a demanding one-on-one sport. I mean, to me, wrestlers is a no-brainer at a lot of places in football. The the sport that I think really also pops, and again, it's in the Olympics, um, is basketball for receivers for DBs. Um, that story I did a few weeks ago, or a few months ago now, with David Anderson. He was like a great. A basketball player growing up and he talked about how this the ability to to play in space and see the game in space which basketball is such a free-flowing game really translates well to football look who's probably the best receiver in the in football right now in all of football Devonte adams he was a great high school basketball player talking to guys who coached him they talk about how good he is especially with releases and playing in space and being able to separate from people and see it in, in a different way with his footwork. And so a lot of times football becomes more of a quickness game than a pure speed game. And so I think that stuff, you know, as much as I love freaks list stuff of a guy who ran this 40 time or this 100 meter dash, I mean, some of those guys who can just, you know, Chad Johnson slash Ocho Cinco was not like a four-two-one guy or whatever, but you watch him separate from people just because of the footwork was so good and the quickness and being sudden. Um, to me, those are things that carry over. So if I had to pick it, I would be like, okay, you know, basketball certainly wrestling because the leverage and the toughness aspect of it. And I would think also, especially for throwers, if you're talking about big athletes in track, I think there's a lot of lot of uh, carryover. And even you hear stuff about like even um, certain guys, how having a baseball background has helped their ability to kind of contort their bodies if they're a middle infielder or some of the things they're able to do or track a baseball, which is a pretty um, you know, you sometimes see that with certain guys, how they're able to 
to to play center field in football because they have that kind of certain um, ability to just read things from a depth part that's kind of more of a baseball quality. Is there a I'm just throwing this out there. Is there a track event possible? Because when we think of track in football, it's always receivers, right? They're fast. They should play receiver. What about cornerback? I feel like, and you do, you know, there are college cornerbacks who are track stars in in high school. But, you know, when we talk about, and everybody and I get the questions all the time, what can be done to slow down the offensive explosion? I mean, one thing would be to rethink the kind of athlete that plays corner that has, that has become the toughest position to play in football, having to slow down Devontae Smith and all these great receivers. And I don't know if there's a different body type or a different type of quickness that that they should be looking for. I mean, they're still looking. I mean, look, um, Deion Sanders is a ran track at Florida State. He's one of the best corners ever. Champ Bailey, the yeah. guy we talked about earlier, you know, was a, an elite track track athlete i think one of the challenges is finding somebody who has that kind of speed with like you know charles woodson he's a you know like if you don't if you have never seen him in person he's a much bigger guy than you probably would think so you know like we just watched this in our house like a week ago it was like on like the 10 fastest men who've ever played in the nfl and one of them was daryl green you know who played in washington for a long long time but he's a he was a pretty short cornerback from texas a and i was crazy i don't know if this is this is 100 percent accurate but they were talking about like when he was 50 years old he ran like a four five one forty or some insane time you know where he just had ridiculous ability you know speed but again you know i think you're almost the the aberration now if you're that short playing cornerback just because you know a lot of schools put a premium on length as opposed to you know just on the pure speed aspect of it let's wrap things up with nick hart from olathe kansas good morning gentlemen will you please predict how many wins and losses arizona state and the university of arizona will have for the upcoming season also the show needs more interviews with petros papadakis even though he's a trojan the dude is also very knowledgeable (laughs) and entertaining he's definitely uh one of the most popular podcast guests we ever have, I think. Because he's a great storyteller. Um, I remember we went to a little Fox dinner, like at the end of our season. And I know Leinert was there and Petros was there. And obviously Matt won a Heisman, was a first round pick. And it's rare you can have somebody who has like, you know, that kind of perspective. And it's just like, here's the other guy who has all these incredible stories. Many which would not be podcasts. Well, it certainly wouldn't be like for general consumption. But they're if just... If you have the means to do this, folks... Because I, I assume not everybody has listened to every episode of the Audible, and certainly not once. Are you going to tell the story about the meat locker? Well, go. I'm not going to tell it. You got to go find go find an episode we did with Petros. What do you think it was five years ago at this point? Yeah, probably. Uh, it was whenever the OJ documentary, the ten part series, came out, um, or six, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was six part? It was long. Um, Petros came on our podcast and told a story of how he was personally had a personal involvement in the OJ chase. Please <laughs> go find that episode. All right, let's play. You know, I got my Athlon right here now. I can just whip it out any time and uh, look up any team's schedule. Uh, ready to play the Arizona-Arizona State game? Yeah, let's start with ASU because I got that up on my screen. Okay, first of all, we're going to do this again because you and I were both wrong. Uh, I don't know if I would say you were Josh Allen level wrong on this, but you and I both thought Herm would have been a disaster at ASU. He has certainly not been a disaster. He has he not has, been a disaster, but he also hasn't quite had that. Like, this is the year where it's like, okay, you know, throw out last year, COVID. This is year four, but kind of like year three. Let's let's see if he can pull it off. And pull it off means win the Pac-12 South, South correct? Yes. That's the definition. Okay. All right. So we look, uh, Jaden Daniels, really good quarterback. They have recruited well on paper, certainly beyond Jaden Daniels of getting good players, especially out of Southern California on uh, with that staff um, with a lot of ties here. So as they put it together, week one, they have Southern Utah. I think you and I are both going to agree that's a win. Mm-hmm. UNLV the next week, also in Tempe, win. Mm-hmm. Gets interesting here at at BYU, no Zach Wilson, but it is in Provo. Yeah, it's a uh, that's a game that ASU should win. If they, you know, I'm not saying they will win, but they should win because BYU is reloading in a big, rebuilding in a big way. Yes. Uh, next, the next week, also home at against CU. 
another one that should like, win. Should win. They like, should I'll, be four. I, that one I'll I'll give them. They should be four and zero before they go to Pasadena to play UCLA. There's your swing game, right? There's your. Are you if you got if you're really going to win the Pac-12 South, you better win that game at UCLA. But I think uh, I will give them the L. I will give them the L. So they are four and one, and then Stanford comes back on a Friday night uh, to ASU. Gosh, I thought the Pac-12 was done giving teams six-day turnarounds. Guess not. Um. I think ASU should win that one. I agree. So now we have both have them at five and one. They go on the road to Utah. Wow, the Bruce Feldman body blow theories at work here. You're going to play Stanford and then turn around and play Utah. That's that's tough. I gotta I gotta give them the L there. Uh, I'm going to give them the L too. I'm curious if Stanford is still that Stanford body blow team. By the way, they definitely weren't for a couple years there, but they're start at least last late last season they were starting to get back to it. I think. By the way, I think UCLA could be a body blow caliber team if they keep if they start to run it like I think they may run it. But uh, all right, so we both have them at five and two before returning home after a bye week to play Wazoo. They should win that one. Six and two. Agree. Then USC is has to visit ASU. Yeah, that could be the. I don't. You know that that could that could have big implications. And again, I'm going to give them the W there. Big implications. It's out to be a big season. Big implications, Stu. Am I reading between the lines saying USC may fire another coach after a trip to Arizona State? Had, no, that wasn't even what I meant. I meant uh, like maybe the maybe they're playing for the Pac-12 South title gotcha, or, or gotcha. playing to stay in the Pac-12 South title. So are you giving them the win against USC? I am. Six and two. Seven and uh, two. Uh, is it seven and two? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Seven and two. Then the next week they go to Seattle. Tough place to play against Washington. Yeah, that's a tough one coming off what should be a big win. I think I got to go with the Huskies there. Seven and three. You know what's really weird about this? I agree with everything you've said and also the reasons. This Uh, next one is a tricky one. This is trap game written all over it at Oregon State. So does that mean you're predicting a Jonathan Smith win? Yeah, I'm going to say they pull the upset there. Okay, we're going to disagree on that. So I have them at eight and three. Mm-hmm. You have them seven at and seven four, and four. And then I think we're both going to have them beat Arizona. So I have Arizona State at nine and three. Wow. Yeah. So if you were doing a top twenty-five, that would put them in like squarely in the top fifteen. I think maybe even New Year's six. Full disclosure: If you had asked me what went, what would the what would the win total be? My win total be for ASU? I would have said seven point five, and I just went nine. And honestly, like I could go either way on USC them playing USC, but I could also go either way on them winning at the Rose Bowl. Um, the yeah. reason I did that Oregon State upset was because like when people play the schedule game, we love to play the schedule game. I think a lot of people play the schedule game and they just don't account for upsets. They just say they're better right. than these teams and they're worse than these teams, and like. You're gonna teams are gonna lose games they shouldn't lose and vice versa. So I had given them pretty much every swing game up to that point. So little little humble pie there in Corvallis to get it to eight and four, which is about where I think they should be. All uh, right. Now uh, do we uh, oh, Okay. Um sorry. I do not think they will be as terrible as they were last year or the last couple years, but I don't know how much he's got to work with. No, I know he's taken some transfers, including one from your alma mater, um, Drake Anderson. I think they will be better. Look, credit to Jed Fish. I feel like he has had as good an offseason as a new coach possibly can have there where people were skeptical about the hire. And I'm not saying there's no skepticism about it still, but he's pushed all the right buttons and how he's put things together. Um, Who's right. their quarterback? I don't know. It might be Will Plummer. They have three guys. They took a transfer from Washington State who has a good arm. They took a transfer from USF who is who was not there for the spring who has more playing experience. So I, it could be one of three guys. They do have pretty good receivers. Like they almost beat USC last year because the receivers, especially I thought, gave USC's defense problems. And those guys are there. And I think they will probably be showcased you know, and what Fish is going to do. So we'll see. Okay, so uh, Don Brown, defensive coordinator, had some great defense, has some terrific defenses at Michigan up till last year. 
Um, now he comes to the Pac-12. I think this is the furthest west he's ever worked. The first game out of the gate, BYU. Now, BYU is going to play them in Vegas. Yeah, we just talked about BYU being in rebuilding mode, but I still think rebuilding BYU is in better shape than massively rebuilding Arizona. I would agree with you on that. San Diego State goes to Tucson. San Diego State's pretty good. San Diego State's pretty good. Uh, I don't really know the ins and outs of their team this year. Uh, I feel like that's a game maybe later in the season you could give to Arizona, but in week two, not so much. I'm going to give that to Arizona. This is a matchup between two old Michigan coaches. Jed Fish, who was on Harbaugh staff, and obviously Brady Hoke was uh, there as an assistant and certainly there as a head coach. But I'm going to give first Jed Fish's first home game. I'm going to give them the the win. Then Northern Arizona. This is the game they definitely should win. Yep. So now you've got them two two and one. one. I've got them one and two. Yes. Now the schedule will get a little harder. You have to go. (laughs) Well, how about we just, is there, which Pac-12, they're not going to win at Oregon. No. Can they beat you? They get an off week though. And then they play UCLA at home. Could they pull that one off? They could. Interesting. You know, there's some, you know, some connections. Jimmy Doherty, who's the quarterback's coach at U of A, spent like five years at UCLA. So he knows that program probably as well as anybody. Um, that should be an interesting game. I don't think they'll win that, but I think they'd have a chance. Look, I think... I'm going to give them that one because I just looked at UCLA. and they Who play did you say at, I play? UCLA at, plays at Stanford, then ASU, and then they go play this game at Arizona. Good spot for Arizona to get a win. Okay. I think so they now can... Now we both have them two and three? Yeah, I think they can win at Colorado. I'm not saying they will, but I don't think Colorado has... Like a lot of these teams, to me, Arizona has the weakest roster in the Pac-12. I would think that one of the four weakest rosters is also Colorado. Even after their surprising performance last season in an abbreviated... uh, No, I think Carl Durrell did a terrific job there. I still just don't think... He is really, really good. Um, I'm giving them the L there. You're giving them the L? Uh, Carson Wells is a really good linebacker. I don't know if I'm giving them another win. Yeah, I mean, after that, Washington, like the thing that's tough for Arizona is, to me, the two worst, they don't play Oregon State, and the two worst teams that they probably play talent-wise are both on the road, at Colorado, at Washington State. So three and nine? Uh, yeah, three and nine would be, I think would be a little optimistic, but yeah, three and nine. There you go. Uh, tell me another college football podcast where you're going to get game by game analysis of both Arizona schools. Is Doug Haller doing a podcast? Because if he is, I think you'd probably. <laughs> there you go. All right. As always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. There are actually a couple good ones we didn't get to. So let's, let's um, move them over to next week's. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.